a good mentor listens, a good mentor starts acting as a sponsor on your behalf by connecting you to other um, people and creating opportunities for you. And lastly, they, uh, they hold you accountable. What's up, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Work in Progress podcast. Today's interview is featuring Tim Salau. Tim is a LinkedIn power user at about 60,000 connections. He's also a current Microsoft product manager. Um, he's built one of the largest and most successful Facebook groups in existence as of yeah, and it's called Mentors and Mentees, where he basically takes people who are later in their career and also people who are just getting into their career and kind of bridging the gap so that people can get the resources that they need. So in this episode, we talk about building a good online community, what you can look for in an impactful mentor. And so I think this episode is super important for anyone that's looking for a mentor currently, has heard the word mentorship, but maybe doesn't understand what it really truly means. Um, and so this will be a great one to check out. As for the online group, if you guys don't know, I do have my own online group. Um, it's on LinkedIn. It's called Podcasters on LinkedIn. Make sure to check it out. I'll have it linked in the show notes below. Basically, it's a space for us to collaborate with one another, share resources, and gain reviews. So we're just going to help each other basically grow our podcast together and help each other along the way so definitely check that out if you're interested all right we'll all let the beat drop and let tim take it from here peace oh and definitely leave reviews on the podcast that's always super helpful can't forget to mention that part it's really not about well who are you and how old are you it's really how much time have you spent on a given platform my i think my one piece of advice especially for young people is just like every day try and figure out how the world works compared to changing the future of somebody and doing it for the greater good. That is, in my opinion, the best idea I've ever come up with. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Work in Progress podcast. Today, I'm with my guest, Tim Salau. I'm going to let him introduce himself, but he's a LinkedIn uh, influencer, powerhouse, now currently a product manager at Microsoft. But yes, I'll let you do the bulk of the work here. Hey, uh, hey everyone. <laughs> My name is Tim. I'm a community builder, active LinkedIn power user, and I currently work as an AI product manager at Microsoft um, and also have a career coaching business um, in which I work with professionals and students who are looking to level up in their careers and really align their careers to their personal purpose. I love that. That's amazing. I definitely want to talk to you a little bit more about that in this podcast as well as probably after this call as well, because I have a few questions on that. Um, but Tim, let's kind of just take it back to the beginning. Like, where are you from? Where did you grow up? What was childhood like? Yeah, so I'm from Africa. Uh, <laughs> Africa is a big place, right? But specifically Nigeria, um, a place called Ogun State in Nigeria. That's where I grew up. And me and my family, we moved to the United States in 1999. And thankfully, my family hit the lotto. So in Africa, there's this lottery system that um, people have to they have to be a part of. They have to sign up for it if they or themselves uh, or their family have any chance of moving to the United States. My dad signed up sign our family up for this lotto and essentially it afforded us the opportunity to move to the United States because we won it, thankfully. And only a few people in Africa win this lotto, right? And it depends on how many people one sign up for the lottery. And also what are the needs? Why do you want to move to the United States? You have to kind of go through this dense amount of paperwork just to say you're interested. Mm -hmm. So my family signed us up, my dad signed us up and we won it thankfully. And the biggest reason my parents wanted to move us to the United States is because, you know, it would provide us with a better opportunity, right, to grow, learn. And the education system, as well as the government in the United States, believe it or not, is far better than in Africa and specifically in Nigeria. So it's more advanced and there's a lot more structure. Mm -hmm. So when we moved to the United States, we landed in Houston, Texas. We had some friends who are and some family members who my mom and my dad knew um, prior to moving, who are already here, and they really helped us train with our transition. They provided us with a place to live. They provided us with meals. They provided us with connections. So I really grew up um, a majority of my life in Houston. And then we moved to a suburb near Houston called Katy, Texas. And I went to high school in a really, really lovely high school where, you know, it was incredibly diverse. And I pretty much grew up 
the other half of my you know high school life i grew up in that area essentially um and after that i went to texas tech university and majored in psychology and um, I did four years there, which was an amazing experience for me. And then after that, I immediately went to pursue my master's degree um, in information studies at the University of Texas at Austin um, in Austin, Texas. So and now I'm working at Microsoft as AI product manager. Crazy. Wow. What a journey. That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm not going to let you get off that easy. So you said us. Um, did you have like siblings? Like, you know, d- how old were you when you like left for the States? Yeah. So when I left to come to America with my family, I was six years old and I had two siblings. Both of them are both of them are girls. <laughs> um, they're my sisters. Um, and I'm the oldest in my family as well. So we all left. So I was born in 93. My the closest, my sister is closer in age to me. She was born in um, 95. And then the other one was born in 2003, I believe. That's amazing. So you were like about three years old when you left Nigeria? I was six years old. I was six six years, years old. old. Okay. So, yeah, because we left in 99. Oh, okay. And did you have any, do you have like any memories of like what life was like there? Have you gone back since and kind of seen what your life could have been like? I mean, I, I have we have pictures, right? That's what albums are for, <laughs> right? And I sometimes I remember I used to skim through them. And I feel as if life was really good. I was really really young when we moved. I was six years old, right? Yeah. So I don't remember too much of it, but you know, it, life in Nigeria is very, very. You know, you're always around family. You're always around um, people who who you grew up with, right? Everyone lives very closely um, to each other in Nigeria. And just in African culture in general, right? Like it's a very communal and collectivist culture. So, I mean, with what I recall, I was always around family. I was always around people and, you know, always playing outside (laughs) if it was, you know, if it was a good um, day outside. So, you know, but not too many details, right? Because I didn't Mm -hmm. really grow up there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally, totally. Um, and so, so you moved to the states, kind of grew up in the states. Um, I guess early on in your childhood, were there like certain things, certain interests that caught your eye? Because I'm guessing at that point, you probably had no idea what like product management was, or like you know how technology works as like an eight year old. Yeah, absolutely. When I you talk about when I moved from Africa to the United States, I had no idea what product management was. Yeah, I mean, me neither. The only thing I mean, I was I, I was I, I I didn't grow my parents. I didn't grow up in a home that that encouraged me to get into STEM. Right, I grew up in a home where you know literally we were looking to create opportunities for ourselves my parents moved us to the united states um they had us transition because they wanted us to have better opportunities so i grew up in a home where everything was new in terms of the united states was new to us um a uh, 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 education system was new to us, right? Suburbia was new to us. You know, the, the, having a local government that actually cared about you and wanted you to vote, <laughs> was compl- <laughs> everything was new. So I was learning a lot at that age and more so absorbing the environment that I was in. And I mean, one thing I was really into then was, I mean, I guess the entire, just entire Western culture, right? So, you know, the fact that I could watch TV and, you know, there was no kind of like, I could I could watch anything I want on TV. That was like completely new, all kinds of new information for me. Um, and the fact that, you know, that you didn't have to worry about um, the chaos that was happening outside of your home and that the government to a degree does take care of you and listen to you. All of that was new to my family. Um, and, you know, it was just a matter of at that age and at that time for our family kind of figuring out how do we how do we set ourselves up for success? Right. Mm-hmm. So one thing my parents did around that time is that they went back to school and they kind of pursued similar careers that they already had established in Africa, in the United States. So my dad pursued his clinical laboratory work and became and started learning how to be a microbiologist in the United States. And the same thing for mom, she started learning how to be a histologist um, in the United States. So a microbiologist, they work with kind of um, samples and the same with the histologist, they work with blood samples. So everything was kind of new to us as a family unit. 
Mm, yeah, no, I, I definitely understand. So it sounds like your parents have degrees um, that are both like in the science related areas. Mm-hmm. Uh, how important was like school growing up? Would you say like, were you doing a lot of different things like playing sports or was it like, hey, you need to get good grades? Because I know coming also from a family or like my parents immigrated to this country. So for them, they were pretty chill about school. But like I know some of my friends who had parents like they were like 100 percent like you need to get A's and like, Luckily, my parents weren't like that. So how was it for you? Yes, my parents were exactly like that. They <laughs> emphasized that I go to school and I handle my business at a young age. Because the thing about it is that my parents came here for a reason. They didn't come to the United States to waste time. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't yeah. come to the United States for me to you know, grow up, not to be successful. They wanted to make sure I was going to school at an early age and I was focused and I was absorbing as much as I can. And, you know, I would go back home and they would want to, to see the report card around the time that it was um, to, to share, you know, how you're doing in school. And then, you know, your teacher would give you your report card and then it would be your responsibility to take it home to your parents and show it to them. And they need to know that you're making an A in all of your classes or a B, <laughs> or if you're not doing too well, what you need to do to get better. Thankfully, I was always doing pretty well. So I'd go home and I'll be really proud to show them my report card. But I mean, that level of emphasis was something I experienced throughout my time growing up with growing up in my um, in my household to the point where, you know, it was constant, you know, how are you doing in school? What do you need to do to be better? What's your grades like? You know, are you what's your GPA? All of that. Always a reminder in my family. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's so interesting because I think everyone kind of grows up with a different mentality of school. I think sometimes like if your parents put too much pressure on you, it like averts you from like wanting to do well. Luckily, it worked out like I like school or I didn't. Yeah, I, I like school. I, I would always did my homework and my parents were always pretty chill, but I know it's different for everyone. So I guess in that time of like having school, you know, be very important in your family. Like education is like that opportunity, that key to success. Um how did that leave any other time to do like sports or play music or did you have any hobbies like that? Yeah. So I think growing up, my biggest hobby was playing basketball. That was the outlet for me. And I was really into the sport um, at a very, very young age. So going out with my friends and just, you know, shooting hoops on the court, um, that was my outlet. And in fact, I really thought that, you know, maybe I would be an NBA player, <laughs> NBA ball player. That's what I'll be doing as a career. Um, but I, I, obviously I didn't fit the mold. I wasn't tall enough. And I just, I, I didn't really, you know, to be a ball player, to be in the NBA, you really have to focus at an early age and really constantly be training. But I didn't really have that level of um, um, training. Um, but that was my outlet. I was really interested in basketball. And at the same time, I was interested in technology. I was really passionate about technology. I was always tinkering with it, um, always just learning about what's going on in the tech space um, at an early age. I wasn't a tinkerer in the sense of like I was building, you know, I was building my own computer at the age of 12. Not necessarily. I was just more so an enthusiast, but I was always like creating in terms of playing with puzzle pieces or, you know, drawing and just always being interested in, you know, the, the things around me. I was a curious kid for real, but I never, you know, I didn't really build that tech, um, um, aptitude until later on in my life, you know, going to school and just reading as much as possible. And it's always a a, a running theme, building your tech aptitude. But, you know, I knew I, I knew at a young age, I was fascinated with how things work. And tech was a space where you were always constantly learning. How do you put things together, um, especially when I was in school? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's that's a really good point. Um, so I guess at what point I don't know how your college works, right? My college is really weird. Uh, you had to like basically pick your major like on the application. So it was like a lot of pressure because basically like whatever major you picked, they only had a certain amount of spots. So then some people would just like apply under a major they didn't really want just to get in and then switch majors. Like, did you have a typical college where you kind of just apply and get in and then find your way to what you want to do? Like, at what point did you kind of realize? Like you want to go into technology and and start investing like the the college education into that. I think that's really it's so interesting because I'm I'm such a, a oddball out in the tech space, right? I have mm-hmm. a psychology background and I have an information studies background. <laughs> mm-hmm. Both of those degrees aren't te- technically um, tech 
related degrees, mm-hmm. but a lot of the the discipline in both of them in itself, there's a lot of learnings from there that applies to how we think about tech. Mm-hmm. So for me, when I went to Texas Tech University, I knew that I wanted to study psychology because I've always been interested in how people process information mm-hmm. and not only process information, but also how they interact with each other and perceive um, um, how perceive the world around them so that was my decision I I was passionate about psychology because I was just curious about the human brain it wasn't until junior year that I realized wow like there's really a way for me to adopt psychology right how people perceive each other and how people perceive information to what's going on in the tech industry when it comes to building products that people use and how we create experiences around those products I didn't start realizing that until junior year. And then my my sophomore year going into the summer before my junior year, I decided I want to pursue an internship. I'm sorry, my junior year going into my senior year and going into the summer before my senior year, I decided I wanted to pursue an internship that will give me more experience in the tech space. And that internship was amazing. It was with the National Laboratory in the Washington area, um, specifically in the Richland area, that really specialized in building um, um, more so internal government-based products to kind of manage their internal systems. And, you know, that gave me the experience working with someone that was really, he was called a UX architect. And essentially, Mm -hmm. he had a hands-on approach in constructing a lot of the internal systems at um, that um, at that government laboratory in which people internally would use those systems to get work done, right? So for example, maybe a employee time management system, right? To book, you know, to schedule, um, to input how much time you're working on different projects internally. He would create that experience. He would create the user interface. He would work with the engineers to implement, you know, his, his, um, his experience that he created, right? So that experience in itself taught me a lot because it got me the opportunity to work under a mentor that knew exactly what he's been in the industry for quite some time and allowed me to develop my passion in tech and help me realize that, oh, this is something I want to do for the rest of my life. But I know that graduating Texas Tech University, I don't necessarily have enough of the marketable skills to really, you know, immediately get a good job after I graduated. So one thing I decided after that internship is that, I'm going to go immediately back to school and go to tech. Let's go to the University of Texas at Austin, where I could focus more on product and UX and be in the Austin area. That's really uh, an area that's really incubating a lot of different tech innovation um, as well. So it wasn't until actually junior year of my um, um, undergrad career that I realized I wanted to pursue technology like Mm -hmm. as a career. Yeah, that's super interesting. I think junior year is such like a crucial point in college too. Like, I don't know. I feel like junior year of high school was super crucial too because that's when you take the SATs and everything. But it always feels like so much pressure, right? Because you have the first two years, you get to kind of chill. Like first two years of college are pretty chill. For the most part, your classes aren't that hard. And then the third year, you just have like, you, ha- you got to get that internship. And like that internship should align with your full-time job. And then, yeah, things just got real for me on my third year too. So, <laughs> so um, yeah, no because you're about to graduate you're like what the heck do i do mm-hmm. exactly <laughs> how, do I, how do i survive after graduation you start you start being more um you start thinking more proactively about where you end up where you mm-hmm. land and you know i didn't have any internships the summer of my after my freshman year and the summer after my sophomore year so i was thinking what the heck do i do because i have no kind of real world experience mm-hmm. so it was so it was paramount for me that junior year going into the summer before my senior year that I found an internship that allowed me to develop a sense of what I wanted to do for a career because I hadn't had that experience prior. Mm-hmm. So in terms of like even applying to like that, um, that internship, right, where you got to work with the UX designer architect, um, building those internal tools, like there yeah. had to be something that, you know, sparked you to want to go into technology? Or did you kind of just say, hey, I'm going to put my hat in this, like, I'm going to put my name in this hat, and we'll see if I if I get it, like, I'm down to do it. Were you applying to other internships? Like, at what point were you like, all right, technology, like, this might be it, uh, that even like made you want to apply in the first place to that internship? Yeah, I think it was understanding that 
tech is such a space that you can grow in. You can, you can, as my current boss told me today, <laughs> uh, not today, but yesterday, tech is a space where you can form your own identity, right? You can, you can, there's so much problems to solve in a sense where you can really put your own perspective into the different problems that you have to want to solve. And you can do it within a team unit, or you can just have your own individual perspective. And, and that will like your perspective matters in tech, right? Because it's mm-hmm. such a space that um, affects so many billions of people in which you're not only creating for one person, but you're trying to create something that can scale. But that's why your individual perspective matters. The way you look at the problem matters because it's not only how you look at the problem, but it's how you look at the problem in, in, in tandem with how other people look at the problem. So it's multiple people looking at it in different ways and trying to build something that scales for billions of people and can generate billions of dollars, right? Mm-hmm. So for me, I realized that literally early on that you know, it's a problem where it's a space in which there's a lot of different rich problems that need to be solved. It's a problem rich mm-hmm. area. Right. Mm-hmm. And I want to be around a space where I feel as if I can grow in and mm-hmm. tech is that space. And I think that's why a lot of people always covet working in tech. Right. Yeah. Aside from the big name brands that you can work for or work with. It's the fact that a lot of people tech for a lot of people, tech is a space where there's a lot of high growth. Like you can go into tech and you see, oh, there's an opportunity for me to grow as an engineer. There's an opportunity for me to grow as a marketing specialist. There's an opportunity for me to grow as a biz dev. There's an opportunity for me to grow as a salesperson, right? There's just so much growth opportunity in this area that for me, I knew I had to pursue it if I wanted to be, I guess, at the pulse of what will be happening in the future. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So a couple of a couple of thoughts on like what you're saying there. So, you know, it's so interesting because like tech is kind of like I don't know, it's kind of like a blanket. Right. But everything like uses tech like there's there's tech in healthcare, There's tech in. Um, I don't know, like even like music streaming, like my friend right now is an engineer at like this, uh, company that like collects data from Spotify. Like it's literally applicable to everything you do. So I totally understand what you mean. And like, it just has such a high growth potential. Um, and then also like with your, with the point about like a vision and wanting to solve a problem, like all I could think about when you said that was like Steve jobs. Cause like, that's really what he did. Like he had a vision and then like, he just ended up selling billions and billions of like creating like the the computers and the Macs and now like the iPhone like I don't know it's just crazy like I, did you ever look up to anyone like that in terms of like executing on a on, on a massive vision like that? Man, I I have to tell you, I'm a big technologist and I really I never really looked up to any technologists growing up in a big way mm-hmm. just because um um I just didn't I didn't really have any but I think I will say that. The person, the person that I would say I can credit a lot of my, that I can credit a lot too in terms of growing up. I it was it was the first computer I ever used. I mean, Bill Gates, right? Like, yeah, he created the the Microsoft behemoth in which mm-hmm. I work at now. <laughs> um, so I I would say to a degree, Bill Gates impacted my life because mm-hmm. I used Windows early on in my life, and that was my portal into the world, right, yeah. into the world of accessible information right into the world of personal computing and i think bill gates vision of putting a pc in every in every single person's home he he achieved that vision before mm. you know steve jobs achieved the vision of of having an apple iphone in everyone's hands steve mm-hmm. jobs i mean um, bill gates literally executed on his vision and that had a a big impact on me because that was like the PC, the Windows PC. I remember our Windows 7 PC that my parents bought so we could have access to, you know, do, you know, just find information and do things such as, you know, understand, you know, just pretty much do research, right? Because they mm-hmm. were, my parents were going to school at the time. So we needed a, a personal computer at home so they can do their research and do some of their um, and watch courses. Um, that was at the time we used CD-ROMs, right? Yeah. <laughs> right? So they can use those. They can upload their CD-ROM, so they can input their CD-ROMs into the computer and watch mm-hmm. some of the courses that they need for their um, schools and be trained, right? So that had a huge impact on my parents, my family, but also had a huge impact on me because that was the way I would access the internet and browse and play games and be exposed to all types of, of new information streams. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I think 
you know, having those interactions early on in my in my life is what is what was the catalyst for me to be a technologist, to be someone that was interested in tech, right? To be someone that realized that information is accessible. It's a matter of going for it and being proactive about it and creating, you know, the platforms that will allow people to access information. So I guess Bill Gates is one person. I didn't necessarily idolize him, but he's been incredibly impactful in my life because he created this technology that allowed me to, you know, access and even create opportunities, the ones that I have now, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> in which I'm working at the company that he started. So, you know, big ups to Bill. <laughs> <laughs> big ups to Bill. <laughs> big ups nah, to Bill. I agree. I agree. He's pretty crazy. And I mean, he he like, I know does, he does a lot of like philanthropic work too. So shout yes. out to Bill. He's a good yeah. guy. Good in yeah. my book. Um, yeah, no, that's awesome. And I and I definitely wanted to touch on, you know, how you mentioned that UX architect uh, being kind of like a sense of a ment- uh, type of mentor to you in that uh, internship. And I know mentorship is something that you're really passionate about. Uh, was that your first exposure to mentorship? Man, um, so yes, I it, it wasn't my, I don't want to say, I guess, in the professional setting, yes, it was my first exposure um, because he was the that was my first internship. And he was such a great guy. His name was Jeff. <laughs> and I wish I still was connected with him um, till this day. He probably still works at the National Laboratory because, you know, when you work for the government, you end, you end up working <laughs> there for a long time because they take care of you. And he was just such a bright guy. And he was such a just comforting very you know i want you to grow type of person and i mean the internship was only i guess it was only like two to three months i believe if i recall and he he, he definitely just he he let me grow and, and he and he 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 gave me good feedback um and he allowed me to contribute um and i think that was the first time in a professional setting i saw what a good mentor could be right um and i think that that in itself wasn't i think that was a that was a good sign for me but i think later on when i went to university of texas at austin i realized that you know that's when i wanted to start focusing a lot more on mentorship in terms of creating the platforms and me being a good mentor to others because i realized that mentorship is essential if you want to grow in your career it's i mean it's just essential you can't there's no ifs ands and buts about it right and it's a matter of me mirroring those who have been great mentors in my life, like Jeff, um, and making sure I pass that on to others and I make time to mentor others. And I create, I continue creating a platform such as mentors and mentees where other people can be mentors to others. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if you want to just like kind of let whoever's like listening know what is mentors and mentees. So mentors and mentees is my career mentorship. Um, it's the career mentorship platform, um, slash community organization that I created a year ago. And the early um, start of it was just, is, is a group, a Facebook group, but now I'm focused on creating it to be something more um, and creating more value for our members who are part of our, um, our group online, as well as offline as well, because community is pretty much platform agnostic. But essentially, it's pretty much a space where um, online, people can go to to connect with others who are very passionate about career mentorship, as well as professionals who are senior in their careers and are sharing and want to share information on how to level up in your career, how to grow in your career. Uh, it's, a, it's a space for people to find mentors if they're looking for that. But overall, it's a place for people to find community of people who want to see them succeed, right? And a lot of our members, I mean, they come from all all over in the world. It's a very international group. We have members in Africa. We have members in the UK. We have members in the United States. Um, Some of our top tech hubs, some of our top, not tech hubs, some of our top hubs are Austin, Seattle, um, Houston, Dallas, and Lagos, Nigeria. So we have a huge reach of members all over the world. And everyone is currently, you know, part of this group on, on Facebook, as well as we also have a LinkedIn group um, as well for people to join. And we're just always actively sharing information with others. We've had live broadcasts with some awesome people who work at LinkedIn, who work at Microsoft, and um, who work at Apple as well, who are sharing their information um, around, you know, how they've been able to develop in their careers and how mentors mentorship has impacted their career. So right now I'm in the process of really building out the platform some more and understanding how do I 
continue to create value for our members in a way that's sustainable and that they appreciate it, right? And they're on board with it and just listening to their feedback. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I give you major props because like starting an online group takes a lot of work. And I think it takes like a lot of continuous work to keep fostering those dialogues, fostering that relationship. Yeah, yeah. I recently started a LinkedIn group also, but it's called um, Podcasters on LinkedIn. I'll I'll send you an invite. And for anyone listening, if you want to join us, basically, uh, if you're on LinkedIn and you either have a podcast or you're passionate about podcasting, it's a place to collaborate. It's a place to find out about new tools and just help one another grow. But yeah, Tim, it's, it's amazing what you've created with uh, mentors and mentees. And I can already imagine it's not easy because even just starting the group for me and getting those conversations to Going. continue. Yeah, it, it, it is hard. It definitely is hard. <laughs> very, very hard. And you're a part of mentors and mentees too. Yeah, I am. I'm in there. Yeah. And it's really a matter of, you know, driving those conversations and building community right? Reinforcing community. A lot of people don't know how to do that. Um, and also, you know, you know, they don't know how to, you know, you need, you need to understand, you need to have a very purposeful community in order for it to grow. And thankfully, I mean, the strongest advantage and the strongest asset that we have right now as a platform, Mentors and Mentees, is our community. And, you know, with me, it's a matter of how do I continue to grow our community and put emphasis on our community and make sure there's this really open, um, there's this really constructive dialogue between us, between the team I'm trying to build for mentors and mentees and the members that we have, right? So because if I want to build a membership-based platform, I need to really focus on our community and ensure I put them first and continue to create community, right? So, um, you know, it's not easy. Even now we have we have 5,000 members who are over 5,000 members that are part of that group. And it's only continuing to grow, right? If we continue to have other you know channels like we recently we we've actually had our LinkedIn group, but LinkedIn recently just redesigned the group's experience. So the LinkedIn group that we have is going to start getting more active. So I can only expect us to grow even more, right? Mm-hmm. So as a you know as the community lead, as the community builder, the chief community builder for this, I know we're going to continue to grow. But it's essentially I want us to continue to grow with a purpose and with an f- emphasis on our on our mission and our vision, right? As a community, and yeah, like. You said it's hard to even kickstart a community um, that 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 everyone believes in, <laughs> mm-hmm. like not only you but everyone else too. Yeah, yeah, it's really easy to get to get people to hit that join button, but then to have them actually like talk to one another. So I guess real quick, like I definitely want to go into mentorship uh, after this, but like if you had to give like you know maybe I don't know like a secret recipe, like if if there's a recipe that you found to be helpful in creating effective or impactful online community as well as offline, what are some things that you feel like you learned along the way? Uh, whether it be you know asking questions, like for me, I was gonna to start asking a question every day in my group to get that dialogue going something like that that people can kind of take away because i feel like uh groups have become so popular whether it's you're building a brand online or you have a podcast you want to have your listeners all like in one group but i found more and more that facebook groups have really been uh super impactful and i think for many that's the reason that they log on to facebook now i agree i wholeheartedly agree it's literally a lot of people still keep their facebook um, app, mm-hmm. <laughs> especially with all of the, you know, the scandals they've been um, experiencing and all that's been happening with them. Uh, many people still keep their app because of the group's experience and the group platform and the communities on there. I think the biggest um, tip for me, for, to anyone that's interested in growing a community is that one, understand a group is not a community. A group is just a space. A group is where people go to, Right. People go to the group online, offline, right? A community is is it's an it's a it's an ephemeral concept, but understand community is platform agnostic, and community is what you reinforce. It's the shared experiences, the shared interests that you reinforce between the people who are part of your group, right? So think of the group as the place that people go to. So online, I have a Facebook group, but community in itself is is something that you know there's not really. You know, there's not anything, community is intangible, right? So focus on building community, not just having a group. That's one. Um, And the thing behind that is that when you create the group and then when you try to grow the community is that you want to make sure that all in all that you have a really clear purpose around why 
that community slash group exists, right? What is the reason for that for the group and how do you reinforce on that purpose day in and day out through the conversations that you spark in the in the group with the community? Um, how with how you find members, right? You want the members to be um, aligned with the purpose of the group, to be aligned with the cause of the group, right? Of the community. And you want them, you want to continue reinforcing that day in and day out through the content that you share in the community. You want to reinforce that with the members that you have come into the community, the questions that you ask them if you have a, you know, if you have that in place, right? If you want to ask them questions, if you want to vet the people who are your members. Um, you want to do everything and anything possible to reinforce the purpose because that's what people latch on to, the purpose of your community and why it exists. So separate a group from community because a group is not a community. A group is just where they go to, right? A community is what you grow and what you want to continue to reinforce. And you reinforce that by having a very clear purpose that you latch onto in every single way possible so you can continue to provide that recursive effect on growing the community. Mm. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, even if you can just like write down the purpose in one sentence and just like have that, like always be thinking about that purpose. But no, that's a really good point. I think that it's probably like the most challenging. It's the most thought provoking. You really got to think about like, why are you starting this? And like, what do you want people to get out of it? But once you do that, it's like, you know, you you can just align everything towards that. Um, So like kind of, I guess now that uh, we know the focus of mentors and mentees, like mentorship, you know, is something that you're super passionate about. Like, what would you say uh, other than joining mentors and mentees, which is super helpful, if you're someone um, who's in college or maybe you decided not to go to college, you just graduated high school, um, or maybe you're in the first and second years of college um, that, you know, you don't really know what you want to do, you would want someone to mentor you. Uh, what are some strategies that you feel like would help them in finding that right person? I think first establish what are, what are the goals and the outcomes you want to get out of a mentor. Um, and, you know, a year from now, six months to a year from now, where, who do you want to be as a person? Where do you want to be? And find the people who are, who you have access to, um, who can help you get there, right? Really look to, make the time valuable for them as well, uh, right? In terms of being very intentional about where you want to grow in. So as you set up those meetings with a potential mentor, let, let them know, you know, this is where I'm looking to improve in. I need your help. I want to be a better leader. I want to be better at public speaking. I want to be better at Excel, <laughs> right? All of those things. But, you know, it starts with you first is how do I want to grow? You know, how do I want to grow? And let me be intentional about it. You know, you can you can keep it in your brain or you can write it down on paper. I, You know, I think people always are like, you know, write down your goals, write down your goals. I think everybody works different. So, you know, if you're not the person that writes down everything, just be very mindful. Right. Keep it compartmentalize your ideas, compartmentalize your goals for yourself, where you see yourself, envision them as much as possible. Play that play the scenarios of your six month self in your head, your one yourself in your head where you're at, and then make sure you're always driven to pursue who you want to be, right? And then align the mentors around you to that, you know, to to that vision that you have in your head, um, you have on paper, and make sure that you make it come to fruition, right? So I think one, be very intentional, understand what are the what are the outcomes I want from a mentor, and then map the mentor to the outcomes that you want to create yourself for yourself. Mm, that's great. That's great. And I think that, yeah, that's, that's a really good piece of advice. And I think, um, yeah, writing down goals has been something that I've just kind of started to do lately, but mm-hmm. it's found it to be like the more I listen to podcasts of like, you know, people who are like highly successful is how much, how many of them have like visualized their goals or like written them down. And it's like, I don't know, it's kind of like convinced me that I, I should start doing it. Not yeah. that you need to write it down, but you need to visualize or you need, you need to, to have, have an idea at least. Um, so that's a really good point. But what if, um, so does that mean that you can have, uh, multiple mentors, right? Because I think that's something that people get kind of confused about. They're like, oh, well, this is my mentor. Like, I, I might not want to drift and ask someone else another question, even if they're not the industry expert, because I've already established a level of trust um, with this person that, you know, they're my go-to. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that uh, you need a executive suite of mentors. You know, you don't, it's not only one. You need to 
you you can have a go to right one maybe that's always accessible and available to you. It just depends on how the relationship is. But you need to have multiple who are informing your life approach, right? So you can have a mentor to help you better better manage your finances. You can have a mentor to improve how you how much of a speaker and a leader you are. You can have a mentor to help you be a better product manager, a better sales rep, right? You know, uh, you can have multiple mentors in your life, but I think the the most important thing is that you're you're listening and you're and you're and you're positioning yourself to be coached, right? You're not you're not you're not positioning yourself, you're not putting yourself in this position where you're acting like you know it more than anyone else or you're a know-it-all. You're listening because I think the biggest thing about mentorship and being a mentee is the fact that you you are you are humble. You are humbling yourself, right? And you are saying that I don't have all the answers, but I want to be around the people who want to help me figure it out and who have some answers and can guide me. Yeah, exactly. I think that's a really good point um, because, yeah, you get kind of caught up in. Um, sometimes I think it just goes back to the this idea of you know you want to be kind of careful and cautious of like who you're receiving your advice to, right? Because from I should say because. Uh, I think that, you know, if you're taking advice from someone, for example, on how to start a business, but they haven't started a business yet, that might not be the best person to listen to. So you want to go to that person that's already built a successful business and ask them those questions. And now if that person, you know, has their partner be the head marketing person and they're the ones, you know, thinking about the branding and everything like that, then you want to talk to their partner. And yeah, again, create that executive suite. I really love that analogy. And I think it's really impactful because I think that like, if you have to equip yourself with that knowledge, because that knowledge is not always presented in your textbooks. And I think that was the biggest reality um, or the biggest like, yeah, reality check I kind of got in my senior year was like, once I started using LinkedIn more and more, I would have these conversations with people. And I found myself like writing down things people would tell me. And I was like, wow, this is really valuable stuff. Um, And that's kind of when it all changed for me. And that's when I started really doubling down on LinkedIn as my, uh, you know, first and foremost, job searching tool. And, you know, I know you're a power user of LinkedIn. When did that start? Like, were you always into it? Did it start after the internship when you were like, all right, I want to get my professionalism up? Like, Man, that's a great... So my infatuation with LinkedIn started (laughs) when I was going to school at the University of Texas at Austin. And I was also interning at GSD&M, which is an advertising marketing agency in the um, Austin area, one of the best marketing advertising agencies in Austin, actually, um, if not the best. And there was a friend of mine called Candy, and she was a teammate um, at GSDNM, one of my teammates at GSDNM. And she just told me that the job landscape has changed. The market landscape has changed for how you find a job. You're not supposed to be pursuing your employer. Your employer is supposed to be pursuing you. <laughs> That's essentially what she says. Like, but you have to make yourself visible, right? You have to make yourself, you have to have a profile, you have to have a brand. Right. And they'll find you and they'll give you the opportunity. Right. And I that was that was that changed my life. That conversation I had with her changed my life because it allowed me to become it allowed me to flip the switch on how I was approaching my career. And I started becoming proactive versus reactive. And I started investing in platforms like LinkedIn. I started finding ways to put myself out there. I started, you know, talking to as many people as possible and building the right relationships. I literally woke up essentially and realized why am I not taking control of the tools that I have around me to be the best that I need to be and grow in my career, right? And I literally have done a 180 since that conversation I had with Candy, and it has changed my life to the point where I'm sitting here and talking to you about it, right? All because of probably that conversation I had with Candy, right? And she was she's a mentor to me because, you know, she's really at a point in her career right now where, you know, she 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 has a house, she has a she's starting a family soon, and she really took the time out to, you know, put that wisdom in me and, you know, everything in my life has changed because of it. So that's when I started getting active. Literally, literally within the last two years, I started getting active on LinkedIn based on her 
just her insight, you know, and her being a mentor in my life. And that's the thing. I think I wasn't even looking for her to be a mentor, right? And another thing about mentorship is that sometimes mentorship comes to you and you ain't even looking for it. But when it comes, when it happens, you got to listen and you got to buck it down. You got to keep the person that, um, that, 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 that wants to be a mentor to you. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, you know, I think that's a really good point. It sounds like you've had some really great mentors in it. And I think it's honestly, it seems like they've all impacted you in a different way and equipped you with these different skills. And at the end of the day, though, I think something that's really important is like you were the one that took action on all their advice. I think that's huge because you kind of have to put yourself in that mindset too, like of wanting to grow yourself because, um, you know, people can give you advice and I found this, I'm sure you found it a lot too, where even if you're the one giving the advice, you can give people advice, but it's really up to them to decide to act on it. And that's probably like the biggest hurdle. But yeah, it's just a mental decision, I think, to like actually want to, you know, just change and have that growth mindset. Um, So one last question here. What would you say uh, is some good characteristics of a good mentor? I love that question, Tiffany, because I think a lot of people don't know how to identify a good mentor sometimes. So a good mentor guides you. They don't tell you what to do. They guide you based on the information that you're sharing with them and they listen to you and they don't necessarily, um, they don't impose their experiences on you in terms of their learnings and, you know, their lessons, but more so they help you make the best decision for you, right? And ensure that you're not going down a path that you'll regret, <laughs> essentially, right? So they're a listening ear and, um, you know, based on what they've seen and the options that they know that you have available to you and your potential, they'll guide you to make the best decision for you so you can grow. So that's one thing. A good mentor listens. They don't tell you what to do. Another characteristic that you need to look for is that the the best mentors, they don't only act as mentors, they eventually turn into sponsors for you. So they give you opportunities to grow by finding those opportunities for you to grow, right? And they connect you with people, right? That will help you grow, right? So they also are sponsoring you by connecting you to other people who they know can help you with some of the goals that you have in your life. And they find ways to create opportunities to help to help you grow as well, right? So that's that's the second characteristics. A good men- the first one is a good mentor listens. The second one is a good mentor will eventually start acting as a sponsor on your behalf. The last char- char- characteristic is that a great mentor, a great mentor, a great good, whatever, they hold you accountable. So if you set a goal, a great mentor will hold you accountable on achieving that goal and in turn act as a coach. They're not necessarily your coach. They're not necessarily there to always hold you accountable, but uh, the, the great ones do because they care about you um, and they want to see you do good and they want to see you achieve your goals and break through some of the challenges that you may be having in your career. So they've listened and they've connected you and now they're holding you accountable to make sure that you're actually achieving some of the milestones that you have in your life. Or that you want to achieve in your life. So those are so so those are a solid three. A good mentor listens. A good mentor starts acting as a sponsor on your behalf by connecting you to other um, people and creating opportunities for you. And lastly, they um, they hold you accountable. Yeah, I love that. Those are really three home run. That's awesome. That's a really good, uh, simple checklist to kind of go over. You know, reference when you're evaluating when you're reaching out to people. Um, that you want to look for for mentorship or, you know, you really align with their career path. You want to get to their career path. It's a really great way to put it. And, um, you know, obviously this is completely biased, but I think a great path to not maybe necessarily like a long-term relationship in mentorship, but just if you want to like grow and, you know, to get different people's perspective is like having this podcast. I've learned so much from every guest that I've had on, um, including you, Tim, you've, you've taught me a bunch about mentorship that I definitely, um, you know, wanted to, I was curious about myself. And so, you know, for example, I had someone who I had read about in a hype Bay article. She uh, was Mm -hmm. a strategist. She's a strategist at this uh, agency in Portland and she's actually Actually, one of the very early episodes of Work in Progress. Her name's Liz Miller, and I just I I really identified with um with that article, and so I reached out to her through LinkedIn, and we got on a call, and she eventually 
came on this podcast and I asked her a bunch of career questions and things like that. So I think starting a project where you can kind of interview people that, you know, you really look up to is, is a great way to receive information. But again, it's all about acting on the information that you have, but thank you so much, Tim. I really appreciate you taking the time. Where can people find you? You know, if they want to connect, if they want to join mentors and mentees. Yeah, absolutely. So if you're listening to this podcast right now and you want to connect with me, let me tell you where you can connect with me. You can connect with me on LinkedIn. I am an active user. I am always looking at my LinkedIn messages. Sometimes I can't respond to all of them because some of the asks are outlandish. (laughs) Reach out to me and you are greeting me and you, you know, maybe you have a small ask and you think I can help you with I'm here for you. I will respond to you as long as it's concise and, and clear. And, you know, or if you just want to say hi, I'll say hi back. <laughs> I'm, really, I'm really active with my messages and try to be, you know, I'm always looking to connect with awesome people who I can learn from as well and collaborate with. So you can find me on LinkedIn. You can also find me on Instagram as well. Uh, I love Instagram. I'm an active Instagram user. And you can also find me on Facebook where I I admin and I grow the mentors and mentees community. I am, I literally use Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram every single day. Those are my three core platforms that I'm active on as far as social channels. I mean, if you want to, you know, tag me on Twitter, feel free to do that as well. Uh, I'm sometimes on and off with Twitter. I'm not as active on there, but I check it sometimes. So if you want to reach out there, that's fine too. Uh, Also, you can find mentors, mentees on our Facebook. Our Facebook is Mentors and Mentees. So and is an ampersand and it's Mentors, M-E-N-T-O-R-S, and as an ampersand, Mentees, M-E-N-T-E-E-S. You can also find Mentors and Mentees, the group on LinkedIn as well, Mentors and Mentees, same name. Um, So you can either join us on LinkedIn or join us on Facebook, Um, whatever floats your boat. I know a lot of people don't have Facebook nowadays because people are deleting the app, which is sad. But a lot of people do have LinkedIn, so you can find us and connect with us and join our group on LinkedIn. And yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And I'll have all that, like all the links and everything to your profile and mentors and mentees in the episode notes below. So anyone can definitely check both of those out. You definitely should. I think a lot of the listeners of this podcast are probably listening because they either want to grow in their career or grow on a project like, I don't know, starting their own business or starting their own whatever. And so I think mentorship is applicable in any of these fields. So definitely worth investing a time into, you know, reaching out to people on LinkedIn, getting into Tim's group and just start making things happen. Uh, Thanks so much, Tim. And yeah, it was a great episode. Catch you later. Oh, thank you so much. (laughs) You'd be a part of it. Yeah, of course.